on this first Sunday of the new year, I want to take a journey in the scriptures on a principle, uh, a spiritual discipline, a biblical practice that is often neglected. Um, We've often taught about the biblical practice of fasting and prayer here, the concept of fasting. It's not new for North Place Church. We have taught on it before and have joined together in many, many corporate fasts several times in the last few years, especially in conjunction with the beginning of the new year. And as a church family, we've seen God do some really amazing things in us and around us during these seasons of prayer and fasting. I want us to look in Acts chapter 13 at a time of corporate fasting where the group came together and fasted together and God broke in. Acts 13, 1. Now in the church at Antioch, There were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I realize that the last several weeks at the end of any year have our minds focused more, maybe and our bellies too, focused more on feasting than they are on fasting. But as a church family, we have found that starting the new year with fasting and prayer is the greatest way to get our hearts closer to God and closer to each other. So as a church family, when we come together for 21 days of prayer and fasting at the beginning of each year, this is kind of what we're saying to God. Cleanse me, Lord, of all of the junk from the past, the stuff from yesterday. Do something new in me. Do something new in us. Create in me, create in us a clean heart. Stir a new hunger in my heart for you. Stir a new hunger in me for your word. Let it be fresh. Let it be new. Fill my heart with a new love for God, a new love for my fellow man. Stir a revival of holiness in us, a revival of happiness in us, a revival of prayer and faithfulness and fruitfulness in our ministering to each other and our reaching to the perishing of our local world and ultimately the rest of the world that we have not yet reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a way for us to say, Lord, I dedicate the beginning of this year to you. And I ask for your favor and your presence to walk with me, not only in this 21 days, but let this 21 days act as a down payment of my stewardship, of my faithfulness, of my sacrifice to invoke and invite your favor on the remaining days of 2013. And my prayer today as a pastor for all of us is that you will hear more than a sermon today, but but you will hear God's call to a season of fasting in my pastoral call for this church to join in 21 days of fasting and prayer. You'll better understand why I believe this time of prayer and fasting is the will of God for us right now as we examine Acts chapter 13 together. The situation, when I just read to you the 13th chapter of the book of Acts, you have Saul, who later his name was changed to the Apostle Paul, and Barnabas, his traveling companion, and some other leaders in the church in Antioch were worshiping, which means they were ministering to the Lord, and they were fasting, according to verse 2. 
And judging by what happened, we can assume that there was some burden on their heart that drove them to a deep level of prayer and a deep level of personal sacrifice by abstaining from food in fasting. The question is, what is the burden? Something drove them to an unprecedented level of prayer and to a deep uh, season of fasting and abstaining from food. But what was it? If you look at this in context, here are some church leaders who were at a crossroads in their church. They were asking some questions about where their church would go from here. They were fasting to seek the leading of the Holy Spirit in the direction of their mission as a church. They were seeking God's will for their personal lives, but they were seeking God's overarching will for their church as a whole. And they were hungry enough for God's leading that they were willing to say it with the hunger of their bodies, not just the hunger of their hearts. They were saying, we want your leading, Lord. Holy Spirit, we want your will in our lives. We want to know your desire for the mission of this local church. Let me say this. They were at a place that we often are in our lives, and I often am as a pastor. You know one of the greatest challenges that I have in leading this congregation and all of us as elders and pastors have in leading this congregation is the decisions that we have to make day in and day out about the details don't have chapter and verses associated with them in the Bible. Sure, the big directives are there, the pattern of living is there, the key principles to life and leadership are there, but oftentimes the detailed questions of life that press on us are the kinds of questions that the leaders in Antioch faced, and they're not always spelled out in a specific chapter and verse in the Bible. For the leaders in Antioch, their prayer may have sounded something like this, Lord, are you asking us to launch a venture into world missions? Should it be now? Should we send some of our own teachers? Should it be Saul or Simeon or Niger or Lucius or Barnabas? Should we send two of them or three of them or four? Which way should they go? Should we send them by land or sea? Should we fund them fully or expect them to work for their keep or just hope that they find favor in the eyes of someone in the villages and towns where they go? Who is going to feed them? Should other churches join us or is this our responsibility as the church in Antioch? Simple questions where you're not going to find a specific verse to answer those specific questions. And maybe for North Place Church, we have some similar questions that need to be answered. Like in our relocation and the building of our new building. We were hoping to have already started, but we are in negotiations with some details within our city that are not moving as quickly as we would hoped. And so we are asking questions as a leadership. Lord, is there someone else we are supposed to be talking to in the city? Should we be more aggressive? Should we be more patient? Should we be vocal? Should we be silent? What should we do as the leadership to maintain healthy relationships with our city, but also follow through with the vision that you have given us as a local church? I mean, we're asking these questions. Submitting to the authority is the big idea. Obviously, we are called to do that in God's Word. But there may be specific things that God would speak to us if our ear was inclined to Him that would help us in this expansion project. 
Or we're asking questions with our limited dollars. Where can we make the greatest impact in the area of compassion and need with the poor and the broken in our community and around the world? Or in the area of world missions? Where do you want us in the world, Lord? The need is so great. There are few of us and few resources, but there is something we can be doing. What is it? Where do you want us to send our teams? What missionaries do we need to form new partnerships with? How can we more effectively reach our local mission field and love our neighbors and impact our public schools and businesses? Or maybe for you, you're answering questions you can't find a verse for, like, do I stay with this job or take the promotion? Is it time for me to go back to school? Do we leave our kids in that school where they're having some relational issues and, or do we give them the, 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 the opportunity, but also the, the challenge of having to adapt to something new? Who should I open up to about my private struggle in life? What do I do about this particular financial challenge? So where do you get the answers of life and leadership to the questions that are not specifically answered in a chapter or verse? I think we learn from the fact that these deeply spiritual early Christians worshipped and fasted and prayed as they sought the leading of the Lord in these kinds of things in the church at Antioch. And so I want to make four observations this morning about the 13th chapter of the book of Acts as it relates to fasting. Number one, their fasting happened after Christ had come. We just finished celebrating the advent, the inbreaking, the arrival of the Messiah. Christ had come. All of this praying and fasting we're reading about in Acts 13 has been after the birth, the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. He has come. And so you have these leaders. And I simply point that out because some people say that fasting was a part of Old Testament spirituality and should not be a part of New Testament spirituality. And to use biblical terminology, they say fasting is for old wineskins. And now that we have New Covenant, uh, new wine, we don't need to pour new wine into old wineskins. So fasting is a dated thing. It's an archaic thing. But it's obvious from this situation that Saul and Barnabas and the other church leaders in Antioch did not think fasting was an old wineskin for an Old Testament spirituality, but they were practicing it after Christ had already come. And Jesus, I mentioned earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Himself, Matthew 6, said, When you give, when you pray, when you fast, as if, those three components were supposed to be a part of the life of any devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Here's a second observation I make out of Acts 13. They fasted as a group together. I bring that up because other people have concerns that committing to a corporate fast like this violates what Jesus warned against fasting and being seen by men. And He did warn against fasting to be seen by men. He said in Matthew 6, 17, But when you fast, put, on all, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. But it's obvious that Saul and Barnabas evidently did not take Jesus to mean that group fasting or corporate fasting was evil. 
even though people know you are fasting when you are a part of a corporate fast. When we go on a church-wide fast like we do at the beginning of every year and for the next 21 days, people are going to know if you commit to that fast. But evidently, the church leaders at Antioch, they didn't take Jesus to mean that we sin if someone knows that we're fasting. But we sin if our motive is to be known for our fasting so we gain uh, favor or applause in the eyes of man. If we gain applause in the eyes of man, our reward will be that applause and it won't come from God. If we choose to do it in the right way, our reward will come from the Lord. Group fasting, corporate fasting, where people come together in specific times in a church or a nation and join together as a fasting to see a breakthrough has marked God's people all through biblical history and post-biblical history. Here's a third observation. Fasting provides an occasion for the Spirit's special guidance in our lives. Listen to this again, Acts 13, 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Just notice that. They were worshiping and fasting and the Holy Spirit spoke. It created an atmosphere. What did he say? Set apart me for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. And that was the launching of the first missionary journey to take the gospel around the world. And so it was in the context of their fasting that the Holy Spirit spoke. And I think Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, records it this way to show us the relationship between worship and prayer and fasting when done together as a three-chord strand and what God does in that context. When you worship and you pray and you fast, the Holy Spirit speaks It provides an opportunity, an occasion for the Spirit to give specific guidance for your family, specific guidance for your business, specific guidance for this church. It's supernatural revelation where God walks into your life and gives you, takes you by the hand as a father and gives you a word to live by. Here's the fourth observation. Their fasting changed the course of history. It's almost impossible for me to overstate the historical importance of this moment in the church at Antioch and how it resulted in the changing of the entire history of the world. How it affected you having an opportunity to become a Christ follower. Before this word from the Holy Spirit, there has never been, up to that moment, an organized effort of the church to take the gospel somewhere beyond the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Before this moment, Paul had made no missionary journey westward to Asia Minor. He had not yet been to Greece. He had not been to Rome. And he had not been to Spain. Before this moment, Paul had never written any of the letters which eventually became the books of our Bible. And all of those books of the New Testament that Paul has written were a result of his missionary journey. He took a missionary journey to Ephesus. He wrote back to that church. And that writing is what we read today as the book of Ephesians. He took a missionary journey, took the gospel to Thessalonica. He wrote two letters back to them. We have them in our Bible today as First and Second Thessalonians. He did the same with First and Second Corinthians. He did the same with the Colossians and Galatians. And all of the books that Paul has written in the Bible were written back to the churches that he visited in his missionary journey. But up to this moment, there was never a missionary journey. Up to this moment, not one of those letters had ever been written. 
This moment in Acts 13 of prayer and fasted resulted in a missions movement that would make Christianity the dominant religion of the Roman Empire within two and a half centuries from that moment in Acts 13. This is the moment that launched and made Christianity a global movement. Today, nearly two and a half billion people on the planet call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And the Christian witness is in virtually every country of the world. And 13 out of the 27 books of our New Testament were the result of the ministry that was launched in this moment of fasting and prayer. When these group of men got together to fast and pray and seek the heart of God, the Holy Spirit spoke. They probably didn't realize the significance of what was happening in that moment. But you and I have been partakers of the gospel of Jesus Christ because fasting changes the course of history. So I think it's fair to say that God was pleased to make worship and prayer and fasting the launching pad for a mission that would change the course of world history. And the question that I ask you, is there not a lesson in that for us? Because fasting has changed the course of history in Acts 13. It changed the course of history in events after Acts 13. And it has done the same in modern history. It happened in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. For example, the Moabites and the Ammonites were a terrifying army that were set to invade the nation of Israel, specifically Judah. And Jehoshaphat was the king. And what would the people do when they are outmanned, outnumbered, and they are about to be invaded by a violent army? 2 Chronicles 20 and 3 says, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek Him. So there was a nationwide fast for divine guidance and deliverance. And in the middle of that fasting, a word of the Lord came upon a man named Jehaziel. Verse 14 and verse 15 says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. And it gives his lineage, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, a Levite, a descendant of Asaph, and he stood in the assembly. Now listen to what he said, verse 15. Listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is the word of God. The Spirit came upon him and he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. And the next day, when the people of Judah went out, they found that Moab and Ammon had turned against each other and destroyed each other so that Israel did not even have to fight them. And it literally took Judah, the people of Judah, three days to gather the spoils of the war. They didn't even fight. And they got to carry the spoils of the war away from Moab and Ammon. Three days it took them to gather all of the spoil. What looked like defeat and calamity was overnight turned into stunning triumph because, again, fasting changed the course of history when God's people band together in worship and fasting and prayer. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, tells us in his journal that The same kind of deliverance happened in 1756. The king of Britain called for a national day of solemn prayer and fasting because France 
was threatening to invade Britain. And the preacher writes this in his journal. This is an excerpt right out of his journal. The fast day was a glorious day such as London had scarce seen since the restoration. Every church in the city was more than full and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God heareth prayer and there will yet be a lengthening of our tranquility or peace. And then in a footnote he said this later. Humility was turned into national rejoicing for the threatened invasion by the French was averted. It would not be difficult to multiply story after story from the Bible and from modern history to show that fasting and prayer have changed the course of history. And this is especially true when fasting figures into the seasons of great revival that have moved upon God's people when they have joined their hearts in prayer in Second Chronicles 7 and 14, humbling themselves in fasting and seeking the face of God. But right now, I want to narrow the focus from history and from what's going on everywhere else and look at what God is calling us to do as a church in light of what is happening in our world and what He is specifically saying to us as a local body. For many years, fasting seemed to be neglected as a spiritual practice in the church. I had a special privilege, and now that the man has gone on to be with the Lord, it's even more special. Bill Bright was the founder of the Campus Crusade for Christ, a great man that had profound impact on the church in America and around the world. Uh, the Campus Crusade has impacted many college students' lives for many decades. Bill Bright came up with the four spiritual laws that have helped many of us share our faith with others as we have given that out or we have used that to converse with other people about our faith and share the gospel with them. On his 81st birthday, he had a gathering of people in Orlando where he bases out of his family and ministry headquarters and Campus Crusade is. And I happened to be one of those people that day on his 81st birthday, and he was encouraging us to fast and pray with him. Bill Bright uh, fasted 40 days every year. He fasted a 40-day fast every year until he went to heaven in his early 80s. Um, and, and he challenged America, leaders and churches around America, for two million people to join him in a 40-day fast for spiritual awakening in our nation. Bill Bright's influence, even with all of his influence in the area of fasting, he's written about it, he's talked about it before he went to heaven, even with all of his influence, it seems that fasting has taken a back seat to worship and to prayer. But Bill Bright is credited in my life for igniting in me an awareness and in the church as a whole for the concept of fasting. In our day, there seems to be a remarkable resurgence of worship and prayer. I mean, churches that I know of that used to make fun of those of us who worship with our hands up in the air and we sing music that you can feel and we believe in being passionate in our worship. There are churches that used to make fun of the way we worship now are participating in the same style of worship. I grew up with, uh, uh, and it was very stark lines. I mean, I went to an Assemblies of God church uh, growing up in a town and we were the crazies, the church out by Walmart, the idiots, the snake handlers, that's what everybody thought. 
And then the First Baptist Church, where most of the kids in my town went to, um, they were more reserved. They didn't, they didn't let you raise your hands in church. They followed the program and the bulletin. They sang the hymns. Uh, they were more dignified. And so we were on different spectrums. And I was just in this weekend for the holidays, and they're a large church and without a pastor. And one of their leaders asked if I would come one Sunday and fill in for them. And I kind of chuckled because it is so different than it used to be because, and he said, don't worry, Brian, we raise our hands now. You're not going to scare us anymore. Um, And it's just this movement of praise and worship has spread across denominational lines. And, And you can no longer just assume a church is more starchy because of a certain name over the door. There is a, this is liberty and freedom that has come, this resurgence in worship. And the prayer movement has reached astronomical proportions with prayer meetings happening around the world that literally number in the millions as people gather in soccer stadiums and they journey to Korea in a lot of cases and they join together and pray. The prayer movement and the worship movement has hit strides, but not in a comp- fasting has not reached that level in a comparative way. Bill Bright suggested before he died. That out of Acts 13, God desires that we humble ourselves through fasting. We join the worship and the praying with fasting because only through fasting can the church be at a place where it is humbled enough and hungry enough for God to bless us as fully as He means to bless us. And recently, in many younger leaders, there's been a resurgence of the spiritual practice of fasting. There seems to be this updraft of momentum in this area of fasting. Thousands of churches around the world will join together in the month of January on a 21-day fasting journey. A lot of them start today. Many of them will not start for one reason or another till the 9th or even later the 13th. But they are joining together in the month of January to seek God for an awakening in our hearts, in our families, in our lives, in our nation. There have been many books that have been written recently, some of which we have used as resources. Jensen Franklin has written a book called Fasting and another called The Fasting Edge. Stovall Weems founded The Awakening Fasting that many of us will be doing. Uh, He has written a book on fasting called Awakening. And I challenge you to look into those resources. There's this updraft of momentum in the area of this spiritual discipline. And in my heart as a pastor, these days, 2013, is they're exciting and hope-filled days at North Place Church. And that's why I want to invite you on this 21-day journey that we begin today of drawing near to God. Now let me just say this. We don't have a legalistic approach to fasting here. Some of us fast. A Daniel fast, which is a personal, a partial fast where we abstain from certain foods and Basically, a Daniel fast is you live off of fruits and nuts and vegetables. Uh, It comes from the life of Daniel. And if you want to know more about Daniel fasting or partial fasting, I challenge you to go to the website danielplan.com. If you want a resource on a partial fast, go to danielplan.com. Matter of fact, there are doctors that chime in there and pastors that chime in there. And they literally teach you, if you want to, to make it a lifestyle to live healthier. But it would be a a powerful opportunity for you to, uh, to, to, to research this idea of partial fasting. Some of you may feel led to complete fast for at least a portion 
of the 21 days. And I challenge you to go to the Krampus Crusade website. When I researched a lot of this stuff that Bill Bright taught me, it wasn't available online. It is now at the Campus Crusade website at cru.org. Uh, and then the, the title of the material, it's all free. It's called Your Personal Guide to Fasting and Prayer. So go to the website, cru.org, and look up Your Personal Guide to Fasting and Prayer. And it was written by Dr. Bill Bright. And it's what helped me step into my first lengthy, complete fast. You fast however you desire. Today in the back, Pastor Brad is talking a little bit about this to your children and he is giving them a calendar for them to talk about with you that is kid-friendly, that allows them to participate. Matter of fact, each day has a recommendation and a way that a kid can participate in this. Matter of fact, today the recommendation is that they fast sugar, candy, and desserts. And every parent should all shout, Amen. This is a holy reason, a holy reason for them to participate in this. The second day, they are asked to abstain from the computer except for what they need for schoolwork and video games. The third day, they are asked to fast from television and movies. So it's just one thing a day and it changes so it's not too burdensome. And it's things that are sacrificial for children but obviously not harmful to their health or any of those kinds of things. So you pray about that as a family and it's a unique way for them to be a part of this 21 days as well. If you're a parent of a teenager... Because we have been, uh, kids have been out on a break and we haven't had student ministries on Wednesday nights. They may not be as up to speed on this, but I have teenagers in my home and they're going to fast social media, Twitter, Facebook, all of that. We've talked about that with them for the 21 days. They may skip a meal or two, but you talk about it with your family because we understand as a family, and I hope you begin to understand as a church, that when this many people come together in a unified effort to humble themselves before God, fasting can alter the course of history. Here are three things that I really want us to ask God to do as a church family in this fast. I want Him to make us hungry for His Word. When you leave the building today, there... There's a bookmark available for you. There will be an usher at every exit. And they will be able to present you with a bookmark. And it says the story, a 21-day fasting and devotional journey. And they will be able to place one of these in your hands. And on the back of it is a reading plan uh, that has an excerpt of Scripture that just massages your heart to get ready for the Word. The journey that we're going to begin on the 27th is called the story, a journey through the Bible, understanding the plot of the love of God pursuing His wayward people. And I want you to prepare your heart for that. I said a moment ago, the Bible is a supernatural book. It will never be fully understood in an intellectual way being read with merely natural eyes. And so the next 21 days, one of our objectives is saying, God, open our eyes, open our hearts, prepare us. Some of us have been believers 50 years. Some of us 10 years. Some of us just a few weeks And all of us, regardless of where we are, need to see the Word in a way we've never seen it before. Some of us need to see it for the first time. And we need supernatural opening of our eyes, supernatural softening of our hearts, so that our hearts are ready to be changed by the Word of God. 21 days of preparation to get ready to receive the Word of God. And so I challenge you to get these uh, when you leave. Some of you may have already started your annual reading plan. Uh, If you want to join us on the 27th and reading through the Bible so we're all reading together, this is a way you can begin today. These are short excerpts of Scripture that massage your heart to get hungry for the Word. And they're January. Now, 
it's small print. I, I, I know I'm about to turn 39, but I found myself doing this today. We printed them too small to get them on here. So get your magnifying glass and this bookmark and follow along with us on our reading plan. All right. Two other things I want you to pray about with us in the fast. Number one, or number two, the, the, the Word of God, getting ready for that, preparing for that, number one. Number two, I want you to pray with us about spiritual renewal. I want you to pray about spiritual renewal in your own heart. I want you to pray about spiritual renewal in our families, your family. I want you to pray about spiritual renewal in our church. I want you to pray about spiritual renewal in our nation. You have neighbors that are, are far from God that, are, that need a spiritual healing. Some of them are disconnected from church and they need to come home. Some of them have never had a relationship with God. And something could happen in the next 21 days that supernaturally opens the door for a miracle to happen and somebody you love and care about, somebody that you know. Fasting, these kind, uh, Mark 9 says, come by prayer and fasting. And so we're going to expect spiritual renewal to begin to happen in our hearts in the next 21 days. But something else I want you to join me praying. Thirdly, I want us to pray for physical healing. Over the last few days, I've seen some of my own family and our faith family hospitalized in life-threatening ways. And I've prayed for them individually for God to heal them. And as I have prayed, because I know it is available, it is made available in the cross. Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. It is a provision that has been made available for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we ask for God to heal our broken bodies and the broken people in our family of faith or in our lives, we are only asking for God to keep a promise that He has made through the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, friend, many of our neighbors and our friends are not going to be debated into the kingdom of God. They are not going to be cerebrally brought in and argued intellectually into the kingdom of God. Signs and wonders followed the ministry of Jesus and the early church to testify to the divinity of Jesus Christ. As we live in a more godless society, it will take the signs and wonders following our lives, uh, and those signs and wonders will not happen without prayer and fasting. And as we pray and fast and engage with our neighbors and our friends, who knows that an unbelieving neighbor or coworker in a time of need may not offer us the opportunity to pray for them, and who knows what God might supernaturally heal them and testify to His Lordship that eventually leads them into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I want us to pray for a greater hunger for His Word, a spiritual renewal, and physical healing over the next 21 days. So I'm going to ask our service host to help me, if they will. And uh, they're going to pass out a, uh, an index card for you. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to place on that index card someone in your life that needs spiritual renewal. Family member, you, uh, uh, something that you're praying, someone you're praying for spiritual renewal over, uh, salvation, a prodigal to come home, uh, whatever it may be. And then I want you to list the need, a name and a need. Please don't put things that you don't want everybody else knowing, any details. Because what I would like us to do is take all of these cards when we come together and pray. 
And for people to be able to grab these cards, the, the, prayer, the building will be open the next 21 days for people to come into the auditorium and pray. And I want them to be able to grab these cards while they're here and begin to call out your needs uh, before the Lord. And we have a staff meeting tomorrow at noon. I want us to be able to go through this list of names and needs as a staff. And, and so write it in such a way that the Lord knows and you know and we can pray healing for so-and-so or uh, whether you might want to be specific, uh, healing from cancer for so-and-so so that we can be directed in prayer, salvation for so-and-so, uh, for a lukewarm believer to, to, be, to be reignited in their faith and their fervor, whatever, list it in a way that uh, it, it's, it's okay for us to read it and pray about it. And we'll collect those when you leave the building in just a moment. I'm going to ask the team if they will to come and prepare our hearts. Uh, I believe with all of my heart today that God wants to do something special in the next 21 days. I have an expectancy in my heart. Yes, it's a new year. And new year is all about fresh starts and new beginnings and hope and anticipation. I'm excited about for all those reasons. But I'm also excited because I have an expectancy and anticipation of what God wants to begin in our hearts in the next 21 days. And I want you to be a part of that. I want your family, however God might lead you, however significantly He might lead you to be a part. Whatever, there's no legalism here, uh, about, and there's no super spirituality about what one does and one doesn't do. You, I just believe when we come and we worship and we pray and we fast, the Holy Spirit speaks. And how many of you would love to have the Holy Spirit speak to you? To give you direction in your life, in your family. I know as a pastor, we need it in this church. And I believe this is a moment where we get God's attention. Uh, and He sets a course of favor and blessing and of His presence. This is kind of like a down payment on the rest of the year, God, I'm going to give you these next 21 days of my time, my talent, my treasure, and I'm going to ask you to walk with me with your favor and your blessing in the remaining parts of 2013. So when you leave, exchange your prayer card for a bookmark and a reading plan on the back. Uh, they don't come with a magnifying glass that you need, but uh, uh, hopefully you can read that. Join with us in reading through this preparing your heart to receive the Word as we start studying it in a detailed way, the 27th. Now listen, invite your friends to be a part of this. People who are not even Christians have a, a bucket list wish of reading the Bible through in their life. And so if they join with us on January 27th and walk through this, by the end of this year, uh, they will have read the Bible through. They will understand it um, in a way they never have before. So let's, let's journey together. I want you to stand with me all over this place, if you will. And um, I'm going to ask um, the prayer team, as they're able, to make themselves available this morning. And success and failure in our prayer ministry in the altar is not how many do or don't come. It is the fact we have asked our prayer team to be available for you at this particular moment in your life. And Maybe, and I know I preached on fasting today. I haven't preached on God breaking into your needs and I haven't given a strong message and a salvation. But maybe in an odd way, the Holy Spirit has taken this message and prepared your heart and, uh, and anointed you. And maybe you don't have a relationship with Christ and you want a relationship with Jesus Christ today. These people are here and available to pray with you. 
the first Sunday of a new year to have a fresh start in a new relationship with Jesus. Maybe you have a need in your life, a miracle uh, in a relationship or finances, and you just say, you know what? I'm ready for a fresh start, a new beginning, a new year. I'm tired of wallowing in the junk of yesteryear. I want to I wanna lay this down on the first Sunday of the new year and have somebody come into prayer agreement with me that God's going to, in the next 21 days, He's going to change this. He's going to break into this family deal, this business deal, this financial situation. These people are here with compassion and grace to pray with you this morning. Haley and I will be making our way to the guest reception and if you're a guest we would love to have an opportunity to greet you but if you need prayer this morning as a guest the most important stop is inviting God into whatever situation that came with you to church today Lord I pray that you bless them and keep them I pray that you make your face shine down upon them I pray that you are gracious to them that you turn your countenance their direction And that you give them peace. And in the next 21 days, Lord, will you open our ears, our eyes, our hearts to the revelation of your word, to spiritual renewal, and to physical healing like we have never seen it before. Let this be the beginning of something history changing in the same way worship and fasting and prayer in Acts 13 was at that moment. Do something in us that will impact the nations. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. The altars are open.